Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In our last episode, we went to Drummond's hometown in Alabama and looked at how one of Drummond's executives was accused of funneling money from the company to a local politician. That executive, David Robertson, was found guilty of bribery and money laundering. I felt betrayed. That's the only thing I can say. I felt sad. Now, we're going back to Columbia to pick up where we left off after Terry Collingsworth and family members of the union leaders lost their case. That one was against Drummond and executives in Alabama and Columbia. They accused the company of aiding and abetting a paramilitary group to kill members of their own union. And a jury had found the company not liable. It was very painful. And if you are sworn to say the truth before the competent authorities, and you do not, this uh, conveys a um, penalty of six to 12 years of jail time. So considering the above, do you swear to say the truth and only the truth? Sí, lo juro. This is testimony from 2012, 11 years since the murders of Valmore Locarno, Victor Orcasita, and Gustavo Soler. A man named Alcides Matos Tavares is sitting before a judge. At the time of the murders, he was the bodyguard for the head of the paramilitaries in Cesar, Colombia. His alias was Samario. So that's what we're going to call him too. He's testifying in another lawsuit about the murders, brought by Terry Collingsworth the American lawyer who argued the union's case in Alabama. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions about uh, some of the events that occurred while you were a member of the AUC. Is that okay? Yes. In 2003, two years after the murders of Valmore Locarno and Victor Orcasita, the Colombian government started to negotiate the demobilization of the paramilitaries, also called the AUC. In exchange for confessing their crimes and giving up their weapons, they would only be given a maximum of eight years in prison. When Samario demobilized, he confessed to having been involved in hundreds of executions as part of the paramilitaries. What was the first time you recall meeting with anyone to discuss doing some operations with Drummond? Señor Matos, ¿cuál es la primera fecha que usted recuerde de haberse reunido y haber hablado sobre algunas operaciones que tenían que ver con la Drummond? 
Yo recuerdo que fue como en noviembre del año 2000. I remember that it was like in November of the year 2000. Samario says that back in 2000, he was called to a meeting at a cafeteria that was still under construction on the outskirts of La Loma, a town near Drummond's coal mine. This is one of several meetings that happened before the murders. We're going to tell you about a few of them, which we know about because of details that emerged in multiple confessions and written declarations filed in court cases. This meeting, Samario says, was to deal with a situation that involved the union leaders. There were four people there, including him, he says. The head of the paramilitaries in Cesar, the man Samario was working for as a bodyguard, Oscar José Ospino Pacheco, alias Tolemaida. Commander Tolemaida, T-O-L-E-I-M-A-I-D-A. Then he says there was a man there called Charris. De Jesús Charres Castro. Charris was the head of security for Jaime Blanco's food services company and Jaime was also there. And Jaime Blanco Maya. Maya. Maya was present in that meeting as well. Later, Drummond will prove in court that at the time of this testimony, Samario was receiving money from Terry Collingsworth, which was supposed to pay for his family's security. Terry made payments like this to other witnesses as well, which complicates this story, and we'll get into that in a bit. Over time, Samario changed his story, he says, because of threats. But he's always mentioned this meeting in various confessions. So you have told us that at this meeting there was a discussion of the problems with the, the Drummond Union, is that correct? Pero usted sí nos ha dicho que en esta reunión hubo una conversación sobre los problemas con el sindicato de Drummond, ¿no es cierto? Sí, claro. Yes, of course. Was there any outcome of the meeting? ¿Hubo algún resultado de la reunión? Bueno, los resultados resaltan a la vista. Casi todo el gremio sindical fue asesinado. Well, you know, the results are self-evident. You know, almost the entire leadership of the union was murdered. Campos, and this is The Crisis. Chapter 5, Confessions. So the accounts of who exactly was involved in planning the murders of Victor and Valmore vary. But there's one person who shows up as a central character in nearly every account, Jaime Blanco, the guy who ran the food services at the mine. Before we get into Jaime's version of events, we want to let you know that much of what he says to us also came up in a different court case against Drummond about the murders. 
that case was dismissed because the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Alien Tort Statute, which is the law that Terry used to sue Drummond. And there's something else. Jaime was also receiving payments from people working with Terry. But much of what Jaime says to us is backed up by multiple testimonies of other people involved. And that's what we're including here. I got Jaime's number from a journalist colleague who works for a local newspaper in Bogota. He told me he interviewed Jaime in prison once and that after the interview, Jaime made them both a meal of fried shrimp. In prison, Jaime has a cell phone. He's got internet and his own computer. These types of privileges are not normal, but Jaime has them because he's part of what we call in Colombia parapolíticos. Parapolíticos are politicians and businessmen who have been convicted of sponsoring or working on behalf of the paramilitaries. Jaime's section is closed off from the general population of the jail. Jaime Blanco has been here since 2013. He was sentenced to 455 months, he tells me. That's almost 38 years. Here, the call drops. So I call back. Hola, se, se te cayó la llamada. Me estabas diciendo, ¿fuiste condenado? Fui condenado en febrero del 2013. In 2013, Jaime Blanco was convicted. ¿Cómo que terminador de los homicidios del presidente y vicepresidente del sindicato de Grupo? of aggravated murder and planning the killing of Victor and Valmore. Jaime Blanco Maya comes from a conservative and politically connected family of landowners in Colombia's northern plains. One of his brothers was a doctor, and his half-brother is a well-known lawyer and was actually the Inspector General of Colombia at the time of the murders. But unlike his brothers, at least the way Jaime puts it, he himself lived a mostly unassuming life. For a while, he drilled wells for cattle ranches in Cesar. When he was in his 40s, Jaime went through a divorce and started living on a friend's estate. Then one day, in 1993, he says he's walking around town and runs into his childhood friend. This guy was a local businessman and politician. And like Jaime, his family was part of the regional elite. His friend had recently been hired by an American company that was looking to open a mine nearby, Drummond Company. According to Jaime, his friend then tells him about a construction company that's doing some work for Drummond and says the company needs someone to provide meals for the workers. What they need, his friend says, is someone who's familiar with the region. Y yo miro el tema con uno de los ejecutivos de, de esa empresa 
y posteriormente yo te aviso y se fue Jaime says that at that time he had no experience whatsoever in the food industry. He had never owned a restaurant or a food service business. He didn't even have a business license. But according to Jaime, his friend insists he's the man for the job. O sea que yo arranqué con ellos por una recomendación y tener experiencia y tener empresa constituida. So Jaime says Drummond gives him the contract. Soon after he starts, Jaime says, his friend puts him in contact with the mayor of a nearby town. And then, Jaime says, the mayor connects him with the local paramilitaries. And this is when Jaime says he starts using his food services company to funnel money to both the paramilitaries and the guerrillas. According to him, he inflates the cost of his services and uses the difference to make payments to the two groups. The idea being that this would hold off any attacks. That's where it all started, he says. Soon after, Jaime says his childhood friend recommends him for another contract with Drummond this time at their newly opened mine site. By 1996, Drummond has finished construction of its first mine in Cesar. The local branch of the union has formed, and the AUC, a major paramilitary group, has started operating in the area. Jaime says, after starting at Drummond's mine, he was approached by one of the heads of the local paramilitaries, who needed money for weapons to better combat the guerrillas. Jaime wrote in a declaration in another of Terry's lawsuits against Drummond that he spoke to Jim Atkins, the former CIA agent who had been hired as Drummond's head of security. And then, according to Jaime's declaration and what he tells us, the two came up with the plan. Like he had done before, Jaime would overcharge Drummond and funnel money to the paramilitaries. It's worth mentioning that this isn't the first money funneling scheme that Atkins has been tied to. An independent council assigned by Congress found that in the mid-80s, when he was in the CIA, Atkins had been involved in funneling money to the Contras, illegal armed groups that were trying to overthrow the left-wing government of Nicaragua. This, of course, was part of a bigger scheme known as the Iran-Contra affair. Both Jim Atkins and Drummond dispute this and deny having a connection to the Colombian paramilitaries. Drummond also points out that back in 2010, Jaime had categorically denied that the company was paying paramilitaries through his food services company. And when we talked to Jim Atkins, he said there was no coordination whatsoever. But one thing that Jaime and Atkins do agree on is the company's concern about the bombings of the railway. 
Jaime's declaration says that the multiple bombings had put the president of the company, Gary Drummond, on edge. Remember, Atkins told us before that in the years he worked for Drummond, between 1995 and early 2001, the railway was bombed dozens of times. And in our interview, Atkins told us that he thought there was a relationship between the bombing of the railway, the guerrillas, and the union. Which is why, according to Jaime, a relationship was established with the paramilitaries. So I got the support of the paramilitaries, he said, and they protected me. Or better put, we cleaned up the area, we got rid of the guerrillas. I asked Jaime about the theory Atkins had given for the murders, that Jaime did it because the union members were threatening to take away his food services contract. Was that the reason for these murders, like Atkins said? He says it's pretty normal to get complaints about food and that the real reason that the union members wanted his contract revoked was the fact that he was close with the right-wing paramilitaries in the area. He says he and the union were like oil and water, and that the union leaders basically latched onto the food issue as the way to get rid of him. But Jaime says the murders were never about a plate of food or a contract. There was tension with the union over multiple issues, worker safety, security at the mine site, and the poor quality of the food. And Jaime speculates that there was fear that the union could strike and paralyze production at the mine. To this day, Jaime maintains that he did pay the paramilitaries, but he didn't plan the murders on his own. Jaime says, look, I'm not innocent. I'm guilty. I helped funnel money to the paramilitaries. But he has also testified that he wasn't the mastermind behind the murders. And there's another layer. Right now, Jaime is in prison on a 38-year sentence for aggravated murder and aiding and abetting the paramilitaries. 
but in November 2019, he got his case accepted into the justice system that's part of the new peace process. Which means that if his confession is found to be true and illuminates the broader picture of the conflict, he could theoretically be released much sooner. There are also some key details that don't come up in the conversation, which we learn about later in our reporting. Like that, a few months after the murders, Drummond canceled Jaime's contract early and paid him $600,000 to buy the assets of his food services company and to indemnify him. And that Jaime wasn't just accused of helping funnel money to the paramilitaries. He was also accused of planning the killing of a competitor, another food services contractor who worked for Drummond. En algún momento dudaste por algún motivo, como mierda, me voy a meter en esto y esto ya es algo un tema serio. I asked him if he ever had any doubts about getting involved in all of this. Pues no, 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 no lo consideré así. No, he says. Me parecía pues que era algo normal para la época que se estaba viviendo. Lo veía como normal porque todo el mundo lo hacía. It seemed totally normal for the time we were living. Everyone was doing it. It was a war. So far, You've heard two confessions, Samarios and Jaimes, but there's more. La oficina del Alto Comisionado para la Paz informa la opinión pública se ha conformado una comisión exploratoria de paz encargada de realizar contactos con los grupos. Like we said at the top of the episode, the Colombian government began to negotiate with the paramilitaries for them to disarm back in 2002, one year after the murders. And part of the deal was that, in exchange for confessing their crimes and giving up their weapons, members of the paramilitaries would only be given a maximum of eight years in prison. And so a lot of paramilitaries start making confessions. Its purpose was to facilitate the demobilization of right-winged paramilitaries. Impunity must be avoided while certain incentives and judicial benefits may be essential for the success of the negotiation. Toda la comunidad internacional está atenta a la aplicación de la ley de justicia y paz. More than 31,000 fighters turned in their weapons. As the peace process got underway, a bunch of former paramilitaries started to come forward and make statements about who planned and carried out the murders of Victor and Valmore. La corte ya recibió la declaración de dos paramilitares. La corte estadounidense se interesó por saber cómo fue que la Drummond empezó a tener contacto con los paramilitares. One of the first confessions on record came in 2007 from a guy who goes by the name El Mecánico. Over the years, El Mecánico gave conflicting accounts. He says he also received threats, but in an early statement, he claims that Drummond did pay the paramilitaries and that Jaime Blanco and Drummond's executives in Colombia were behind the plan. Again, 
Drummond denies being involved in the murders. Soon after El Mecánico confesses, Charris, the head of security for Jaime's food services company at the mine, is arrested. De Jesús Charres Castro. And charged with helping Jaime plan the killings. In 2009, Charris testifies that Drummond was involved too. Now, Charris is also one of those people who received payments from Terry. But what's noteworthy is that the judge writes out a sentencing document that explains the charges against Charris and the story so far. Which means that the judge found the information to be compelling enough to be taken into account. And it says that, about a week before the murders, Charis went to another meeting. This time, the judge writes, it was everyone who had been at that earlier meeting in the cafeteria, plus Jim Atkins. And that this was the meeting where they planned the murders. Then, a couple of days later, the judge writes, there's yet another meeting where they finalize the details of the plan. At that final meeting was Charris, Jaime, and the head of the paramilitaries in the area, Tolemaida. Tolemaida, T-O-L-E-I-M-A-I-D-A. Most of the declarations point to him as the guy who gave the go-ahead to kill Victor and Balmore. Por el asesinato de los líderes sindicales de la multinacional Drummond Balmore Locarno Rodríguez y Víctor Hugo Orcasita Amaya, fue condenado a 30 años y 4 meses de cárcel el ex paramilitar Oscar José Ospino Pacheco alias Tolemaida. En 2020, when we interviewed Tolemaida, he told us to talk to his boss, Jorge Cuarenta, the former second in command of the paramilitaries for the whole country. According to Tolemaida, that's who ordered him to kill the union leaders. Like we said, some of these confessions change after people have been offered money or intimidated, which calls into question their motivations. In other words, are they confessing to crimes because they want to tell the truth? Or are they confessing because someone has offered them money or threaten them. I'll give you an example. Samario, he's the paramilitary guy we heard at the beginning of this episode who testified that he was at that meeting at the cafeteria with Jaime Blanco. Was there any outcome of the meeting? ¿Hubo algún resultado de la reunión? Bueno, los resultados resaltan a la vista. Casi todo el gremio sindical fue asesinado. Well, you know, the results are self-evident. You know, almost the entire leadership of the union was murdered. Y no precisamente por ideales subversivos. And not precisely for their subversive ideals. What, what do you mean by that? ¿A qué se refiere usted con esto? Eh, bueno, los sindicalistas eran un problema para la multinacional Drummond. The union leaders were a problem for the uh, Drummond multinational. Y como nosotros éramos la parte oscura del Estado, los que podíamos asesinar. And since we were the gray or the dark uh, part of the state, the ones who were able to kill. Eh, pues, se buscó de nuestros servicios, como en otras ocasiones, para que elimináramos o asesináramos a los sindicalistas. So our services were sought 
as it had been done before for us to murder or assassinate the union leaders. In that hearing in 2012, Samario directly pointed to Drummond and said that the company did have a role in the murders of the union leaders. But in his first confession in 2009, Samario had not been so direct. He said then, quote, I do not know if Drummond had something to do with the murder of these two unionists, but that there are rumors that some of the paramilitaries had, quote, something to do with this canteen that was inside Drummond and some executives from Drummond. But he indicates that he doesn't know whether or not this was true. Later, when Samario points directly at Drummond, he's receiving payments from Terry, which both men claim were for Samario's security. It is regular practice in the United States and in any country that has a developed justice system that if a witness and or his family members are threatened by testifying, that it is appropriate to provide them with some form of security assistance, including a relocation and like a witness protection program. Samario says he and his family were threatened and Terry relocated him and paid his family a stipend. So, Terry says, these payments were an attempt to protect his witnesses. But a U.S. federal judge disagreed. In a defamation case brought against Terry by Drummond, the federal judge issued an opinion saying in part that there was sufficient evidence to believe that Terry had engaged in, quote, bribery and subornation of perjury, unquote. Meaning, he promised witnesses something for their testimony, which is illegal. This particular case is ongoing, and Terry is countering many of these claims in court. It should also be noted that there are multiple suits and countersuits between Terry and Drummond. After losing that first lawsuit against Drummond in Alabama, Terry wrote letters to a Japanese company that was considering investing in Drummond and to the government of the Netherlands, which is one of Drummond's biggest clients and told them that Drummond had participated in war crimes and crimes against humanity. Terry also teamed up with an unlikely ally, an oil company that had issues with Drummond in Colombia. He basically decided that the enemy of my enemy is my friend and uh, began working with us and providing whatever support he could in terms of putting us in touch with witnesses, this included financial support. According to a federal judge, one of the owners of the company ended up paying Jaime Blanco about $100,000 in installments. Jaime claims that this was for his legal fees, and he refused to sign his declaration against Drummond until he received payment. First, it's important to emphasize that we did not provide any resources to any of the paramilitaries we provided security assistance to their family members in order to facilitate their testimony that would help the people that we represented. So I never viewed that as a conflict. It was a necessary evil, if you will, in terms of facilitating the testimony to benefit my clients. 
The whole story is a huge fucking mess. There are so many different people involved and their stories and alleged motivations are all over the place. What is a fact is that the paramilitary group in the area killed Valmore Locarno, Victor Orcasita, and Gustavo Soler. No one is contesting that, not even the paramilitaries themselves. But there's no agreement about who planned the killings. There are two narratives being laid out. One, that the paramilitaries killed the union leaders after being asked to do so by Jaime Blanco. Two, the paramilitaries killed the union leaders after being asked to do so by Jaime Blanco, potentially in coordination with other people working for Drummond. And that the money that paid for this came from Drummond. What's clear is that someone saw the union as a threat and got rid of their leaders. We just don't know exactly why. But we do know a few things for certain. We know that all three men, Valmore Locarno, Victor Orcasita, and Gustavo Soler, were leaders with the Sintrami Energetica Union. We know that they were just three of the more than 2,500 union members who were killed during the conflict. We know that Jaime Blanco, who ran the food services company at the mine, had connections to the paramilitaries and came from a politically powerful family. We know that the union asked Colombia's intelligence agency, the DAS, for protection multiple times, before and after the murders. We know that Janet, Valmore's widow, submitted a report to the agency accusing Jaime of being involved in her husband's death and she was forced to flee. And later it came to light that some members and leaders of the DAS were connected to the paramilitaries. It's been proven in court. Which means that there was a direct line between the most powerful people in government and these illegal militias. We know that, according to a Colombian judge, on March 12th, the day of the murders, Valmore Locarno, the president of the union, wasn't supposed to be at work. He and Victor and some other members of the union were called into a meeting with the manager for Drummond's Mine and Jaime Blanco. The meeting was to discuss the union's issues with Jaime's food. It isn't clear who exactly called them in. Several hours later, as Victor and Valmore were traveling home, paramilitaries boarded the bus they were on, pulled them off, and killed them. Seven months later, their colleague, Gustavo Soler, was also murdered after having taken over as president of the union. And we also know that, as of this recording, two Drummond executives are facing new accusations of having financed the paramilitaries in Cesar. But this time, it's not the union or the families of the dead men or some American lawyer who the accusations are coming from. This time, it's the Colombian state. That's next time on The Crisis. The Crisis is a production of Vice News. It's hosted by me, Ser Quevedo, Ramon Campos, and Agnes Walton. 
It's produced by me and Ashley Cleek, who is our senior producer. Reporting by Ramon Campos, Agnes Walton, me, and Ashley Cleek. Adriana Tapia is also our producer. Adriana Rodriguez is our associate producer. And thanks to Jesse Alejandro Cotro for additional production support. Sound design by Ben Cruz-Kaya. Original scoring also by Ben Cruz-Kaya, with additional music from Dominica Records in Bogota, Colombia. Translation and editorial consulting by Diego Salazar. Annie Aviles is our executive producer. Kate Osborne is the VP of Vice Audio. Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Production coordination from Stephanie Brown. Special thanks to Maximo Anderson and Jeff Peer for fact-checking. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.